All right, well, as you know, we've been in a series uh, that we launched on Easter. We're going to actually wrap that up today uh, called Jesus, Lord Over All. And we're going to wrap up today with the topic talking about Jesus being Lord over the church. And the most logical place to start, in my mind, if you haven't learned that this is typically how I think, is what does that mean? Let's define some things. And I found this definition super helpful. Uh, a man by the name of Wayne Grudem uh, is uh, pretty well known in pastoral circles for his systematic theology. Um, it's not a light reading. The, the book's about this thick, you know, so it's not, it's not something you might want to just casually breeze through at a coffee shop. But I found his definition, the church, and, and I, we probably should have made it capital C because that's often how we indicate between sort of the church universal and the local church. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. I think this is an important place for us to start because it's really easy for us to think of the church in the context of, well, it's the, you know, 30 or 40 of us that are here this morning, and, and maybe it's those watching online and those that come other times, you know, but, but it's important for us to remember what we are a part of, the church of Jesus extends far beyond our walls. It's, it's even more than saying, well, you know, it's all the churches in the Peoria area or any geographical restriction you could say. No, the church is the community of all true believers. But the thing that I also want to highlight is for all time. And that, that might sound a little strange, but what that means is all of those who have uh, become true believers and followers of Jesus all the way in times past are also part of the church. And they're now, if they're no longer living on this earth, are part of that great cloud of, of witnesses um, in the heavenlies, but they're still part of the church. And it's important for us to remember, like we don't have a, a, a monopoly on this thing. We are part of something that is so much greater than anything that we could possibly hope to accomplish on our own. And we should take courage in that. We are part of something bigger. And we're able to accomplish things in partnership with that when we realize that we are part of that something bigger. So I thought that was a good foundational place to start. And one of the things that you've probably heard me say before um, that I found super helpful early in my journey is this quote from John Wimber, one of the early leaders of the Vineyard Movement. When it comes to the church, the vineyard is just one vegetable in the stew. Not one is better than another, but all are needed to bring about the best flavor. See, we also have to realize that even, even our movement, comprised of a couple thousand vineyard churches all around the globe, we, we don't have a monopoly on this thing either. But, but we also can recognize we bring a distinct flavor. There, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in knowing who we are and what we bring because what we actually need is all the different flavors. Um, you know, we love in the wintertime to make vegetable soup. Or, and I actually like mine a little closer to a stew than a soup. But, you know, it's like if we just dump some stock in the pot and only put carrots, maybe you could call that vegetable stew, but that, that's not what I like. I, I like a lot of variety. 
I like differing textures. You know, we might add a little parsley and oregano. I like some garlic. Uh, the hamburger's kind of optional in our house because my wife doesn't like uh, red meat. Um, but, but we need sort of all those different things cooked down and melded together to bring about the best flavor. And I would propose to you this morning, and, and, and hopefully you already agree, that when we talk about the, the purposes and plans of Jesus in expanding his kingdom, in bringing the reality of the kingdom of heaven to the earth, we can't accomplish that on our own. Not only does that mean not in our own strength, in other words, we need the Holy Spirit to empower us, but it also means even in that context, we actually need the other flavors to be dumped into the pot of stew. See, there, we've used this illustration before, but I want to keep bringing it back and reminding us. And this is based off of a, a prophetic word that was given to our founding pastor, Ben, uh, by a lady who I don't personally know. But she said to him in the early days, there is a portion of the field of harvest. And we know the Bible tells us the fields are white to harvest and the workers are few. She said the field has a portion that can only be tilled by the Vineyard Church Peoria. In other words, because of our unique flavor and things, there, there is a part of the larger work of God that we have specifically been tasked to do and in order for the larger work to be accomplished, we have to do our part. But we recognize our part's not the whole work, lest we be prideful and think, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're the big church uptown and everybody else needs to get on board with what we're doing. No. Actually, I think we should be free to be who we are, but we should also be able to celebrate and bless the way that God is working in all the other churches, in all the other flavors. All right, so with that foundation, let's jump into the scriptures, and I want to start in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, we're just going to read a couple of different verses, and then we'll uh, back up and say some things about them. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, tells us, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. That's us. God has done that. God has given Jesus all authority and made him head over all things for our benefit as the church. And the church is his body. We're probably really familiar with that concept. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Let's read one more. Jump over with me to Colossians chapter 1, the 18th verse, if you're taking notes. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. We hear that again. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. This is referring to those who have been made alive. As we say yes to Jesus, we pass from death to life. And so he is the being supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. He is first in everything. You've probably heard us say from time to time that Jesus is the head of the church. And we talk about this idea of, you know, 
if, if we have, have taken too much control, we want to give Jesus his church back. In other words, what we're saying is we're recognizing Jesus is the head of the church. Now, we know we need leaders. Every, every team needs a leader, and that is a level of delegated authority. If we understand from these verses, and even if we go back to Matthew 28, read the Great Commission, we understand Jesus is the ultimate authority, but because he wants us to share in his mission and his ministry, he delegates that authority to his children, to his believers. And I'm not just talking about pastors or even leaders. I'm all of us. We, one of the, uh, to be technical for a moment, and you might be familiar with the phrase, uh, one of the, the sort of doctrines that we really believe in is the priesthood of all believers. So in other words, yes, we have those that God calls and puts in places of authority and leadership, but when it comes to the expansion of the kingdom and the work of the gospel, every follower of Jesus has the role of being a priest to those whom you have influence uh, that are around you. In other words, as you might be more familiar with, everyone gets to play. This is not an organization where we gather a group of people to support the holy man of God to go and do the work of ministry. No, actually, as I tell you all the time, my job is to both encourage and equip and train you because we're actually called to all do this together. And so there's no monopoly on hearing from God that resides in someone who might carry the title of pastor or leader or deacon or trustee, depending on your particular tradition. No, the, the entrust and authority that Jesus delegates is to all believers. We all are, in the same way as we talked about, you know, the different flavors of churches being in the kingdom, the same is true at this micro level. We, we need all of us. The body is not complete without all of us doing our part. And so we have to recognize that we're all called. Now, what that looks like for each of you individually is going to be different. There are different ways that that works itself out because I believe that Jesus made no mistake in the way that he created you, in the way that you're wired, and the things that you're, uh, are your strengths. Jesus wants to work with those things so that your particular way of expressing that common shared goal uh, can look different. And, and there are different levels of, of influence. You know, you might be a, a, a person who uh, is just a natural influencer, and you, you have lots of people around you that sort of look to you for um, stability or advice, or you might have a leadership role outside of the church, perhaps in, uh, in your vocation or your career, you know, then you might have uh, sort of positional influence and authority. Well, Jesus would call you to live your life in a way, not taking advantage of positional authority, but live your life in a way that you are influencing people, or I like to say, helping move people towards Jesus. See, I actually think that this is the reason that the church exists. Back up, if you're, if you're uh, familiar at all with uh, popular sort of business books and some of the authors kind of in that arena... Uh, one of my favorites is Simon Sinek, if you're familiar with him. And he writes a book called The Golden Circle. And, and one of the main premises is 
when you're setting out to do something and, and, you know, whether it's starting a business or an organization or whatever, is start with why. Sort of the inner circle is, is, is the why. What, what is the why that drives what you're doing? And then you, you go on in the outer circles and you get to things like uh, strategy and, and how do we accomplish this and what are the particular activities that we do. But it all starts with why. And this is something that's really important for us to understand as a church. Why do we exist? What is our purpose? And, and it's the same uh, as individual believers and for us corporately. The church exists for that purpose of moving people towards Jesus. If Jesus is the center, and if we're following Jesus, if we're hopefully in our own lives moving towards Jesus, our purpose is to help. In, in, and again, we're not talking right now about, about well, how do we do that? You know, Well, there's a million ways we do that. And there's lots of different expressions. There's ways that it looks. But that is the why. Because what we have discovered, if we have decided to follow Jesus, if we've been on this journey, and, and you see this language gives you freedom to, again, you can be anywhere on that journey. It's not about how far you have progressed. It's not about have you crossed the line and are you in the club or are you out of the club? Because I don't think that's how Jesus actually set this thing up. No, what's important is what direction are you going? If you're on this journey of life, what direction are you going? And, and we like to say Jesus is the center. And so rather than trying to determine, are you in the club? Are you out of the club? Are you on board? Just are you moving towards Jesus? And that, that hopefully makes it where we can all get a hold of it. Wherever you're at, whatever has happened... Whether you moved towards Jesus for a long time and suddenly took a right turn, it's never too late. Can you start moving back towards Jesus? And this is what we're called to invite other people into. This, to me, is why the church exists, because he didn't set this thing up for us as individuals in little silos to, to go and do that. No, because the truth of the matter is we help move people towards Jesus because we work better together. You know, we like to say Vineyard is a relational movement. We accomplish things better when we have relationships with each other. I brought up in our prayer time this morning this idea, you know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Like just the fact of us sort of rubbing shoulders and being in proximity to each other, uh, we can find encouragement. We can find that, that we're actually sharpened in, in our skills and that's what we want to invite people to in the context of community as we explored in the last series. We want to collectively invite people and move them towards Jesus at the center. That, that's our why. And, and, you know, you can talk about the, the spiritual aspect of that, that those who don't know Jesus at all in a relational way, just as a young man I told you about at the retreat, you know, that went and got baptized in the icy cold lagoon like that was because he was invited he was drawn by the activity around him and seeds had already been planted you know it's i don't think it was probably the first time he'd heard about it but because of the seeds that had been planted and then in an environment of of seeing and and connecting with the the drawing of jesus and the experience of worship 
that, that helped him take that next big step to move towards Jesus, to make, just as we celebrated a couple of weeks ago, that public declaration that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus, both in his death and in his resurrection. But he took a step to move towards Jesus. For us as a church, we need to think about this. We need to pray about this. If, if this is our, our why, and maybe you've never thought about it in that way. Maybe you've never even considered the why. Because honestly, probably if we took a poll and said, well, you know, why, why, why does the church exist? Probably get a lot of different answers. And I honestly think probably a lot of them would be great. I, I probably wouldn't even necessarily be able to say that they're wrong. But I like to try to, to, to simplify things. If we have a strong, compelling why, and the way that this becomes compelling is the closer I personally move towards Jesus and the closer I get in proximity to him, the more real he becomes. The more he impacts my life, the more he shows me what he's like. And this is the undeniable reality that closer in proximity you get to Jesus, the longer you see him, look at him, follow him, be transformed by him, you will actually become more like him. And in experiencing that transformation and that reality, it will become all the motivation you need to realize his goodness. The Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that draws people to repentance. As we get closer to Jesus and we more fully realize how good he really is, how kind he is in the way that he does things in our lives, in the way that he, uh, you know, we think as human, we often talk about, you know, well, that was just set up for failure. I think Jesus is regularly, nearly constantly, setting us up for reward and victory. Now, we don't always experience it, right? Because we're not always listening and tuned in and following that thing. But whenever you're in any given situation and you have a choice, Jesus is trying to set you up. It's the same thing. Let me back up and, and, and talk about this for a second. In the garden, you may wonder why. Why, why did Adam and Eve have that that choice. Like, why, why couldn't God have set this thing up that, that there was no uh, tree that they would have to be tempted by that would cause sin? And, like, why couldn't He just eliminated that? I said, you know, everything's perfect and good. Because the invitation of the Father is that you, you get to make a choice. But He's trying to set you up not to trip you up and not to get you to fall and mess up he's trying to set you up for reward but you need to be able to participate you need to be able to have a choice in what you choose and that's that's all tied up there's a whole nother message there about our our free will and and how we participate in that but i'll just leave it at this for now is that jesus is always giving you a choice if you can sort of extend the metaphor with me there's always two trees in your garden and you have the freedom to choose either one. But what God's trying to set you up for is when you make the right choice, he wants to, he wants to reward you. He wants to give you the good thing. In other words, if, if the knowledge of good and evil you know, sort of set us on the, the path uh, of the fall, what Jesus wants to do is, is reveal to us all the good things. 
He wants to move us towards looking more like him. For our kids, you know, and, and most of you can probably relate to this, don't we all tip, and then we probably, some of us maybe lean more on one than the other, but in, in raising our kids, we use both punishment for wrong choices and rewards or reinforcement for good choices, right? And we have found uh, both are probably effective in different situations, right? But we've tried to enforce this principle that, you know, when, when we're giving you a choice and when there's a consequence, and, and, and part of the way we do this is we, we I'm saying we try, you know, because we're not perfect at it, as I suspect none of you are or were. We try to communicate ahead of time because I, I, I tell the kids this all the time. I don't want you to get in trouble. I don't want you to have a consequence. I don't want you to have, like, that's not my desire for you. But I'm communicating to you ahead of time that you have the choice and if you choose this, there is a consequence. And it's actually not loving of me to explain that to them and then not have that consequence happen when they make that choice. Because I'm, I'm, I'm teaching them, I'm training them, you know, how to, how to be a person, how to be more like Jesus. But it's been helpful that we've actually sat them down and said, you know, when we're giving you those choices and when we're attaching a consequence, what we're trying to do is, is teach you how to make the right choice because the same as there's a consequence tied to the wrong choice, there's, and not always a reward just in the practical sense, and I, oh, you, you did the good thing, here's an M&M, but the reward in learning how to make, maybe that, that wrong choice is something that's really attractive to them. And it's learning, okay, when this thing over here is really drawing me, oh, that sounds really good. I need to develop in my character the ability to say, that sounds really good, but I know there's a consequence attached to that, and this thing over here might be hard, but I know there's a reward attached to that. I know there's something good. And, and, and what kids don't yet understand at, at the age of my kids is that's developing in, in that character the ability to say, this is a hard thing, but I know it's going it's to, because it's less about the action. It's less about what we do or what we don't do. What's happening is it's making me more into the person, the type of person that Jesus has created me to be. That, that if we look again at the example of Jesus and how he lived with temptation, and yet he didn't succumb to that temptation. I don't think that Jesus was like insulated and, and didn't feel the draw of, of certain things. And it didn't sort of tug it. But because he was led by the Spirit and he understood this and he was developing through an intimate relationship with his Father, he had the grace or the empowerment to be able to make the choice to choose the tree of life over and over and over again. And this is one of the things that the church is called to participate in. This is why we talk about equipping and training, because it's not just about, well, you know, yeah, I want to preach Christ and him crucified because I want everybody to say yes to Jesus. But if we focus solely on that, then where does that leave us once everybody signs up? Are we just supposed to sit around and wait until he comes back again and live life and be merry and come what may and none of it matters? 
See, what's wrapped up in this why is the fact that there is a, a task to be accomplished, which we have a significant part in, that is actually far beyond our ability to actually accomplish. Uh, if we reach that point, you know, where everybody has said yes to Jesus, everybody has moved towards him, you know, then, then we can hang our hat up. But I suspect we're probably far enough away from that. We don't really have to be concerned about that yet. And so as the church, what we want to do continually is to not only help people move towards Jesus sort of in that context of, of saying yes to him for the first time, but we want to be equipping and training and, and this again, this piece of community and encouraging each other is so significant in learning how to make those choices and learning how to do the hard things and not follow our feelings, but follow Jesus. To pursue him, to go after him, to enter in to times of worship, knowing that it can be dangerous. Because if you enter into the presence of Jesus and come in in a vulnerable way, He's going to transform you. He's going to change you. He's going to mold you. And this is what I mean. I'm not trying to say that everything's rainbows and roses because sometimes when Jesus transforms us, we realize some of the things that he's changing, you know, I was actually kind of comfortable with that. I, I, I kind of liked that. It was kind of natural for me to, to, you know, have that as part of my uh, personality and things and, uh, you know, but does it look like Jesus? And if it doesn't, he might be wanting to change that. Maybe, maybe you struggle with, uh, you know, certain aspects um, of your life. You know, I've shared with you before, uh, and, and this is a, a progressive work. I don't claim to have arrived, but, but I can see how I, Jesus has grown me in this. Um, I, in the past, have had a real struggle with, with anger. You know, and it's kind of like, Whenever you're angry, don't you always pretty much feel justified in that anger? It's like, well, I know that I'm right. So therefore, this way that I'm feeling and therefore then choosing to act because what we've done is we've, we've self-justified. We've actually entered into self-righteousness. The fact that I'm right gives me permission to behave in this way because I'm right and you're wrong. Well... Maybe that's not the way we saw Jesus operate. Maybe I need to be transformed in that area. But maybe in the process of being transformed, Jesus might reveal that the root of that is something kind of painful that I didn't want to deal with. Maybe a choice that I made. Maybe something somebody did to me that I have a wound that has not been healed. So I'm just trying to paint the picture for you that I encourage you to enter in. I encourage you to be vulnerable because Jesus is trustworthy. He, he is trustworthy to, to, in other words, he's not going to lead you into a place where as you expose a wound that he's going to jab his finger in it and say, yeah, I bet you wish you didn't do that. No, he, he wants to come and, and bring healing. He wants to sort of get that that balm or that salve and, and, and but that doesn't mean it's not painful 
So this, this is what I'm, I'm trying to get across. But we have to be willing to endure that pain and follow the good father and let him bring the salve and heal the wounds so that we can be more like him, so that we can be more free, so that we can be more like Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, we invite you to come teach us how to be your church. Teach us what it means. And Jesus, we ask, especially today, that as we enter in to worship, would you come and would you transform us? Would you give us the boldness and the courage to step further in when those places of woundings, when those difficult relationships or whatever it is, when those things come to mind, would you give us the courage and the strength to not close that back up and hold it in, but to actually hold it open and bare before you so that you can come in and speak life, so that you can heal our wounds, so that we can become people who also partner with you in healing others. Because as we know, hurt people hurt people. And that's not your way, Jesus. So would you come and would you heal us? Would you transform us? Would you make us look more like you? In Jesus' name.